This is a CBC Podcast. Walking school bus. Good morning. Good morning, Dion. It is 8.15 in the morning on an overcast day in Winnipeg, and Josephine Lixie has a very big job to do because she has to get these kids to school on time. I'm one of those walking school bus monitor here at Chandisi Park School. So I started my work early in the morning, like to pick up our kids from their houses and walking them to our school and make sure that they are safe. It's almost like you're a walking school bus driver. <laughs> yes, yes. But uh, the only thing, we are walking. We are not driving a bus. <laughs> and I'm walking 27 kids. It's a big bus. Yes. And you see, like, I'm a bother duck. On my back is, like, my little ducklings. <laughs> Our little students. Good morning. Good morning. My name's Alam. And how old are you? She's six. And how old are you? Seven. What, I saw you guys. You guys were so happy when you saw the walking school bus. What, why do you guys get so excited for the walking school bus? It's because we like going to school. Do you like walking to school with all your friends? Uh-huh. We talk about funny stuff and we eat snack. Oh. Well, let's keep going. Let's keep going. We got more kids to pick up, right? Yeah. Okay, you, guys, you, guys, you guys show me the way. Now the thing about walking to school with a bunch of kids between grades 1 and 8 is that it can sometimes take a while. So we're just waiting for one of our kids. She said that my sister is not ready yet, so we have to wait for them. Of course, they never know when people are coming. Did you have breakfast this morning, sweetie? Did you eat breakfast? Okay, we have to go to the breakfast program too, okay? Me too. Come on, let's go. Yes, of course. So tell me, do you guys like taking the walking school bus to school? Yeah, 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 I like it, yeah. Because like, it gives your legs like a little bit of a workout when you walk. Do you like walking with all your friends? This is fun, there's so many kids. Good morning, Baba! Good morning, Baba! <laughs> I like that like I'm not alone, and like I know that I'm safe. What would it be like if you didn't have the walking school bus? I think I'd be like really scared. Oh really? How come? I just don't like this neighborhood, and there's like, I'm like really paranoid of cars. I don't know why. <laughs> so yeah. So this makes you feel much more safe and protected? Yeah. How does this help you kind of get ready for your day? Um, by like making me wake up early in the morning and like knowing what time to go to school. <laughs> Is it nice always having Josephine picking up with that big smile on her face? Yeah, because sometimes I need it. <laughs> I like your pink umbrella. What about mine? I like it. And we get to walk in in in, in the water. Uh, yeah, I love these kids, like you know, holding their hands while they are walking, and some of them are like becoming friends to each other. Yeah. I like that the bigger kids are holding the little kids' hands. Yes, yes. So I'm happy to see that. And this is the way how to, like you know, the community too. Yeah. Walking is good for our body, right? And then to see those kids together as friends, giving them a self-confidence. For me, this is a good start, how they become a good leader someday. Great school. Great school. Great. Come on. 
Okay, so I think that's it. We arrived safe here at Shaughnessy Park School and have a great morning, everyone. Thank you for letting me ride the bus with you. <laughs> You're welcome, Bill. You're very much welcome. Bye-bye. See you, kids. Thank you, Mom. Bye, guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Trevor, I can tell you I could never be a walking school bus driver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too impatient. I would be like, okay, I get it. This is adorable and you're safe, but let's keep it moving. No, no, that shouldn't always be the goal though. You shouldn't always have to be trying to get somewhere quickly. And I think that's the problem sometimes in life is we're always just trying to get somewhere as fast as we can. But sometimes I think it's more important to just feel safe, to make connections, to talk, to share some laughs, hold some hands and just move your body. You are very right. There are so many great reasons to walk and even more places to go. This is Now or Never. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And I'm Trevor Deneen. And today we're finding out where your walk is taking you. He has walked every street, every pedestrian street in Quispamsis, which is more than can be said about any dog for sure, and probably any person. So I think it's a big deal. This type of, of therapy works for me too. I do not for a second think that I could sit in a small windowless room um, face to face with, with people all day. So getting out to move my body is uh, also beneficial for me as well. Like when you first hear walking soccer, it sounds easy, but it's not. It's, uh, you know, everybody's sweating and, and my heart rate is up. It's, uh, it's good exercise. It's a lot more difficult than it sounds. This is now or never. Are you going to do it? I have to. Get it. <laughs> you done? Yeah, that felt good. There is a walk that Brianna Seawald has dreamed of doing for a long time, and that is down the aisle. Fanciest dress that I will ever own. I thought that I was not going to be able to find a dress or anything that made me feel like a bride. I just saw this giant chunk of metal on me, and I was never going to have my Princess Diaries moment. And then I got it. So I had to have the train cut off my dress, obviously, because of the wheelchair. So it would make it easier for mobility for the day of. And I also got a cathedral-length veil that matches my dress perfectly. And I'm wearing my leg braces and some Nike runners. Waiting for Brianna and her Nike runners at the altar, her fiancé and best friend, Ryan Borkowski. I am not a calm person, but Ryan is calm and gentle and patient and a very good friend. If anyone ever needs help, Ryan will lend the shirt off his back. And I think that that's quite fitting and been very beneficial to both of our relationship over the last three years. He sacrificed so much to be my person and he is just truly an amazing man. I found a good one. Ryan knew he wanted to marry Brianna three years ago. He had asked her parents permission and was waiting for just the right moment to propose when something happened that changed their lives forever. So I was a new nurse at the start of my career. I work in a rural hospital in Manitoba and it was during COVID and it was crazy. And I was on night shift 
And the night before the accident, I got kicked across the room by a patient. And I was told by the doctor to stay home the next day, but I knew that they weren't going to be able to fill that spot. And I knew that the hospital's load was quite heavy and I didn't want to leave my colleagues high and dry. So I went to work and the shift was great. It was nice and quiet. And I remember that morning so vividly and I don't know why my mind can hold on to those memories so clearly but when I walked out in the morning the sky was clear and beautiful and it was August 17 so it was like a little crisp in the morning but that sun was already warm so you know it was going to be like a nice warm day and uh, I was about 15 minutes 10-15 minutes away from my home and a large pickup truck thought he could beat four lanes of highway traffic and gunned it across those lanes. I didn't even have time to take my foot off the gas before I realized, oh my God, I'm, I'm gonna hit him. I hit him going 103 kilometers an hour and I suffered catastrophic injuries because of that. I broke my neck at C2, a complicated hangman fracture. I dissected an artery in my neck. I broke my spine at T1, T2, T4, T11, L1, L2, L3, um, L5, and my sacral spine. Um, I had collapsed lungs, my ribs were broken, um, and a head injury as well. So it was easily the worst day of my life and despite those injuries I am quite functional. I am partially paralyzed from the chest down but we are making the most of it and I'm very fortunate for the function I have. When Ryan got to the hospital Brianna was struggling to speak but she felt compelled to tell him he didn't have to stay. I remember telling him very clearly Ryan you don't have to stay to take care of me. Do not stay with me out of obligation. You are a good man, you are handsome, and I know that this is not the life I want for Ryan. To have to be a full-time caregiver, to not be able to go and travel and do all the things he wanted to do, it's exhausting to be someone's full-time caregiver, and I told him that. Like, don't stay with me because you think it's what the good guy is supposed to do and you're gonna look bad if you leave the girl who broke her neck. And the look on his face, it was like anger, sadness, disgust, all of the things all at once. Like, okay, I'm gonna chalk this up to you being on a lot of medication right now that you don't know what you're saying. And he stayed every day after that. So her engagement was after one of the worst nights I had in the hospital. So I was in a halo device so that screwed into my skull in four places and stuck to an external vest that I had to wear. And Ryan came in in the morning and I smelled his like fancy cologne and I couldn't see Ryan and I heard him like on the right hand side of my bed. He realized I couldn't fully see him so he moved the ring box into my point of view and then I seen this diamond and I'm like oh my goodness he's like doesn't matter what our future looks like I just know I want you in it and the day the accident happened I realized how quickly you could be taken away from me and I never want to spend a day without you and Ryan promised me a lifetime without even knowing what our future would look like at that point and loved me at my worst and he honored in sickness and in health long before we would meet at our wedding altar and Oh, I'm gonna cry. That, at first I remember feeling like, oh my goodness, like why would you have proposed to me in the hospital at my worst time? Like we have no pictures, I'm hideous right now. And then when, you know, I start to 
ac actually think about it and it's just truly beautiful. He didn't propose to me when I was all dressed up, when we were in a beautiful setting, when, when things were perfect. He proposed to me when things were at their worst and that's what love really is. Love is not loving someone at their best. It is choosing to love them at their worst and helping them through it and that is how I know that like Ryan and I will be together forever. Brianna made two promises to Ryan in that moment, to marry him and to do whatever it takes to walk down the aisle on their wedding day. I just told him, I'm not sure how, but I promise you will see me walking toward you at our wedding day. I think it's so important because this wasn't supposed to be part of my story. I wasn't supposed to be a wheelchair bride. I wasn't supposed to have to plan a wedding around accessibility and for this one moment I wanted to have a piece of my wedding the way that it should have been and I want to be at eye level with my future husband when that moment happens when my mom and my dad hand me over I want it to be upright and there's nothing wrong with being a wheelchair bride. I want to make that very important. There was nothing wrong with that. It's just not the way that I envision. No one envisions their life with a disability, but it can happen at any point. And this was one moment I just knew we could make happen and could give me a little piece of my old life back with Ryan. For the past three years, Brianna has been working hard on this goal and documenting her progress online. It's time to get wedding ready. I start with cardio, which is a really fast-paced walk for me outside, and then I come in and play with the dogs. Next, I wake up my legs by using my power plate. It just increases your... Honestly, good for babies, because no one knows how hard it is to relearn to walk and use your body. So again, I'm partially paralyzed, so I have some movement, and I have some voluntary function in one of my legs. The other one's completely paralyzed. Some of my core muscles work. Most of them don't. Some of my back muscles engage, and a lot of them don't. I have debilitating vertigo. My eyes don't focus. Every sense of my body that says it's safe to move is telling me it's not. And when I'm upright, everything looks like it's moving kind of like a wave. So that's very disorienting. And because of my neurologic injuries, I have no idea where my feet are unless I look at them. It's every day I have to do something to keep my body remembering that those muscles are there and that they have to work sometimes. It's, it's exhausting. It's been an exhausting three years to get to this point, but worth it. Well, me and my mom and dad have been practicing in my home um, and out of sight from Ryan and out of anyone. Ryan's never seen this, so this is a total surprise to Ryan. So the day I come down the aisle will be the first time Ryan sees it. And even when we're practicing with the music, we're very emotional in the house, so we keep making jokes like, we gotta get it together kind of thing. But I imagine coming around and like seeing him through the trellis and standing and seeing all of my... Oh, I'm gonna cry all of my friends and my family and just to see Ryan to show him I did it and I did it for him and it's all of our work and all of our sacrifices and everything that we have put into it finally paid off and I will walk at my wedding. Trevor, Brianna's wedding happened just last weekend oh my gosh did she did she hit the goal well she updated her tiktok followers so let's check in 
I look crazy, but your girl is married. This weekend was literally perfect. And oh, I'm gonna cry. And I did it. I got to walk to Ryan on my wedding day with my mom and my dad. And I can't wait to show you guys the wedding video. Three years of incredibly hard work. And I did it. She did it! Yay! <laughs> and Brianna didn't just walk down the aisle. She also danced at her wedding. <gasps> Congratulations, Brianna and Ryan. There are beautiful photos from the wedding that we'll share with you on our website, cbc.ca slash now or never. Trevor, I want you to be honest with me. Have you ever, when no one was looking, channeled your inner model and just done a, a runway strut? <laughs> runway walk. Always. <laughs> you know what's funny? When the movie Zoolander came out, everyone kept saying I looked like Zoolander. And there was many a moment where I would literally, when no one was looking, like do that like a Zoolander walk and turn and then do like the blue steel face in a mirror. And uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that out loud. I'm just so glad that I'm not alone because I'm not going to lie. Sometimes, you know, a good enough song is playing. I am Naomi. I am Tyra. Yeah. I'm all of them. You're working the runway. <laughs> yep. And it takes a lot to do it. When fashion designer Scott Rubano assembled a group of all Indigenous models to walk for their history-making New York Fashion Week runway debut, Scott had one message for them. You better walk this is a time for you to walk for not only yourselves but for all those communities that need to be represented walk for all those individuals who should be walking on the stage walk for all those individuals that we've lost due to residential schools due to colonization you know and you guys are just powerful people exude that powerful energy and Sure enough, they did the damn thing and they just really made this show perfect. <laughs> the models not only did the damn thing, those runway walks helped change Scott's life. We're going to get into it with them later on Now or Never. Okay, guys, come in. Let's go around the circle again. So if you pick a red, you're wearing red, so keep your shirt on. If you pick a black, put a penny on. On a hot Saturday morning in Toronto's Riverdale neighborhood, a group of rec soccer players are getting ready to face off. Let's go around the circle again. So is Richard, Chris, Elizabeth, Alejandro, and Dog. Oh, and Mike. Oh, and Mike. <laughs> My name is Kieran Hans. I'm 56, and I'm the leader and organizer of Toronto Loons Walking Soccer Club. Uh, I came up with the idea when I went to Spain to visit my father and I played a bit of walking soccer there, there was a local club and when I came back it didn't exist so I decided that uh, if it isn't happening I'll make it happen and uh, started up a local team and it grew from there more people kept coming and now we have over 30 to 40 members. This is walking soccer, where you can't run, there's no contact, and the ball stays below head height. Now, other than that, 
This is the competitive game you know and love, and clubs like this one are popping up all across the country because almost anyone can play. Our least experienced player had never played before, and our most experienced player played professionally. So it's a wide range, and the playing field is very leveled. So really any ability can join, and the same goes for ages. Our youngest player is in their early 50s, and our oldest player is 83. My name is Malcolm Brooks and I'm 83. The match, I think we're losing by 1-0. We're losing by 1-0, but no doubt the spirit of our side will pull through in the second half. I'm feeling pretty great. Um, I find the walking soccer stimulating and fun and tiring and a hoot. Uh, my name is Diana and I'm 65. Uh, I'm a retired family doctor and right now I'm a painter. I watched my family play gazillion hours of soccer but I never played myself. I was fairly trepidatious at the beginning because I'm, I'm small and not particularly strong but it went way better than I thought uh, because the thing about walking soccer is that there's time the ball comes to you, you can stop it, and you actually have time, unlike running soccer, which is a very rapid and uh, demanding, physically demanding sport. Today was uh, my first time. I passed by and I saw these people playing soccer in a funny way, so I asked and they, they told me it was walking soccer. So I was curious and uh, we decided to come and to try today. Because it's not running, it's much easier on the body. Many of us have changes in our knees and our hips and our backs, and this respects those changes. And many players have incredibly smart feet. They've played all their lives, so they can do that and not overuse their joints. Soccer has always been a huge part of my life, but uh, I had an injury for a while and I couldn't play running soccer, so Karen started this walking group and I thought, you know, let's look into the future. I'm only going to get slower as the years go by, so it's a way of still playing and it's social as well, you know, we go to the pub afterwards and uh, if you burn a thousand calories, you've earned a few beers, so, uh, you know, everything's fine. Walking soccer has been in Canada since 2016, I believe. There are clubs across the, the country, but in the past, when, when TV crews have wanted to show the sport, I found it was, they had a very ageist approach with, uh, you know, look at these cute old people getting out and oh look they're only walking isn't that isn't that cute we're not viewed as uh, sports people we don't feel like we're viewed as sports people and um, we are we still compete just how we always did when we were younger and I think we should be respected for that like when you first hear walking soccer it sounds easy but it's not it's uh, you know everybody's sweating and and my heart rate is up it's uh, it's good exercise it's a lot more difficult than it sounds People may think this is no physical challenging, but this is wrong. <laughs> they have to try to see that we use all our muscles. In terms of a workout, it's, uh, it's not far behind the running game. You're, you're, uh, you're still moving quickly, you're doing a sort of Olympic walk, and that, can, that really gets your sweat in. This is absolutely fast walking, it's um, uber walking. It's such a great stress reliever. For two hours you just forget about everything, but that little ball is bouncing around the field. I just love it. I'm going to play until I drop. I think in terms of promoting well-being at my age, this is a 10 out of 10. Oh, 
Lovely. Well done, everyone. Thank you. I'm feeling absolutely wonderful. I mean, I'm a bit tired after almost two hours of playing, but uh, I feel great and I'm ready for a pint. Trevor, I'm watching these videos mm -hmm. and I'm sold. In fact, <laughs> You're I'm ready in. for more sports to offer walking alternatives. I think mm -hmm. the walking basketball league is exactly what I need. Uh, we're going to start this. Yeah. Walking baseball. Truly. <laughs> I just think everyone can do this. The, the opportunities are endless. Well, we're going to share videos from the walking soccer game, which you'll be blown away by. So head on over to our Facebook and Instagram page to check those out. This is Now or Never, the show that celebrates what it takes to try and reminds you that you are definitely not alone when you do. I'm Trevor Deneen. And I am Ifi Chiwetelu. And there are many good reasons to walk. For your mood, to connect with nature, it strengthens your heart. But none of those reasons are as fierce as doing it for the runway. When the first beat hit, and my logo appeared on the screen, like the audience just roared. Like I, like I don't want to toot my own horn or anything, but I feel like my audience reaction was the loudest of all of the designers that day. Um, but I think I really owe it to community, you know, and all of my cousins and relatives and all my friends that showed up from all across Turtle Island. You know, we were really proud to just be there as a community. And I just remember feeling, you know, like, damn, we did it. We all did it because it was a huge community effort. You know, I had beadwork and artists featured from all across Turtle Island. I had all my models, you know, I had all my friends, my family was in the crowd. You know, I was really just kind of like, damn, I'm really here at New York Fashion Week. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> I just made history by becoming the first Two-Spirit Cree person to showcase at New York Fashion Week just makes me super excited for the future of where my fashion career is heading to. The future has to be exciting when your very first fashion show ever is at New York Fashion Week. Trevor, let me give you a taste of what Scott Wabano sent down the runway. Wabano is a genderless streetwear fashion brand, and you'll notice the Wabano teepee logo and all the designs. You're looking at natural fabrics with environmentally safe dyes and that model lineup. It is all indigenous models, different shapes, body sizes, gender expressions. The people Scott chose to walk the runway were all there for a reason. Each of these models are doing such amazing work in their own communities. They really exude this really decolonial, baddie type of energy that I really wanted in my show. You know, we have Indigenous Baddie, Michelle Chubb, you know, we have Haley Robinson, Jazz Gailey, uh, Shanice Steele, you know, Jojo Jackson. Like all of these people are you know, really influential Indigenous community members. I just, I remember having a conversation with all of my models before the show, you know, and I re remember telling them, you know, we weren't meant to be here. All of the things that were placed against us by the government and society, you know, they wanted us to be afraid of who we are as Indigenous people, you know. They didn't want us to stand in our power. They didn't want us to walk in our power. They wanted us to be scared. And, you know, they wanted us to belittle ourselves. 
And this is not the time for you to do that. This is a time for you to walk for not only yourselves, but for all those communities that need to be represented. Walk for all those individuals who should be walking on the stage. Walk for all those individuals that we've lost due to residential schools, due to colonization, you know. You're, and I told them, you're each meant to be here for a reason. You're each doing all of this work for a reason. And you guys are just powerful people. Exude that powerful energy and... Sure enough, they did the damn thing and they just really made this show perfect. <laughs> yes, yes. Like truly, you look through the images and you could see that that message was really taken in because yes. when they walked down the runway, it was uh, it was powerful. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me think about the, the journey that you've been on with fashion. Like when did it start for you? When did you fall in love with fashion? I've always just viewed fashion as a way of like that was a part of my culture and a part of my identity, part of a way for me to tell my story as a Cree person and tell my story as a, as a young person from Meshkegwak and Iwisti. Um, so I've always been designing my regalia for the powwow trails and ceremonial circles, you know, and that's something that was kind of ingrained in me. But then I also have another answer where I was introduced to like Dior and like Valentino and more mainstream fashion brands. And that was um, between the ages of like nine and 13 years old, that's when I finally started getting introduced to Vogue magazine and fashion magazine and Cosmopolitan and started to immerse myself into this whole mainstream world. And that's when I really wanted to be in this fashion design world and really wanted to just bring more representation, you know, because every time I looked through these magazines, all I seen was just white people and people who didn't look like me, people who didn't um, dressed like me and you know people like I wanted to see my aunties I wanted to see my cousins you know my relatives people that I knew in these magazines and I feel like that kind of just really drove me to pursue a career in fashion to and to also change that you know to also help the fashion industry learn more about indigenous people and also respect us you know it's more than just being included within fashion you know you need to actually start dismantling all of the systems that are kind of put in place right now that are really harming a lot of not only BIPOC communities across the board and our environment as well too you know fashion is the biggest polluting industry and aside from oil and I think it's uh, really important to kind of um, advocate for that and educate people about that so yeah yeah we're talking right now and this is uh this is playing on the radio so people can't really appreciate this uh face beat that i get to take in and i'm bringing it up because there's this meme about like the designer and their designs like Mm -hmm. because oftentimes they're implying that designers do not look maybe as like fashion forward as their own designs but i'll say that is not you (laughs) you've been voted uh best dressed (laughs) by the globe and mail like looking through your social media it looks like the world is your runway. <laughs> of course. <laughs> is, that, is that fair to say? <laughs> no, definitely. That's the way I live my life. You know, I think it's really important to see the world as your runway and really um, implement fashion as a way to kind of express yourself and just a way to have fun. I think it's really important to just move through life with confidence, you know, and fashion is the way for me to feel confident. There's this quote that I always uh, remember uh, Tom Ford by and he says I want people to be scared of the woman I dress and that's something that I mm. want I want people to be scared of the people I dress I want people to be feel intimidated you know I want people to feel 
empowered, you know? I just want people to feel powerful in their own, whatever that looks to them and whatever fashion that may seem to them. I just want them to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm hearing that and I'm also thinking about the context of two-spirit LGBTQ folks increasingly being targeted with hate and there's a lot of like anti-trans energy, homophobia energy, not that it's necessarily new, um, but it's it's definitely been getting even more vocal. Has that had an impact on, on how you think about what you do with fashion and style and, and taking up space? It's never really impacted me. If anything, it's just really inspired me to do more and really design more and really just kind of make those people eat it, (laughs) you know, and just really just kill them with fashion, you know, kill them with kindness. And I want to do that through fashion. So I don't want like all of those comments and all of those opinions from people to make Indigenous youth feel like they can pursue their dreams. You know, I want them to know that no matter what you do, there's always going to be people who are going to try and diminish you and try and tear you down and especially non-Indigenous people towards Indigenous folks. You know, it's a lot of discrimination and racism that kind of plays into that as well too, you know, but I want people to know that no matter what, they could do whatever they want. And all of that is just going to be background noise. Your life's just going to get better. And those people are just going to not matter after a while. So what's the next thing you're hoping to walk into? You know, I really feel like we're moving in the mainstream fashion industry right now. We're moving to this age where a lot more BIPOC designers and more BIPOC creative directors are finally entering these spaces of major fashion houses. That's a dream of mine. Like, I want to be, like, if not me, I want to see another Indigenous person be a creative director for a major fashion Mm. house. You know, I want to see history be made, whether that be me or another Indigenous designer, you know, it's going to happen. And I'm super excited to see that happen. And I'm just waiting for the day it does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you already practiced it, making history so what's another what's another challenge creative director why not yeah yeah I'll add it to my bucket list This is Now or Never. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And I'm Trevor Deneen. And Ifi, when I think about going for a walk, I don't often think about it as going by myself. Because I always have Sophie, my lovely, lovable chocolate lab with me at all times. And we hit the same streets in our neighborhood. We walk the same paths. It takes the same direction every single time. I sometimes think to myself that I'm in a bit of a rut when it comes to walking my dog. But if you head to Quispamsis, New Brunswick, you're going to meet Conrad and Sally Brock, who decided that it was time to take their best friend on an epic quest. Just follow his nose. Exactly. We took him on a tour this summer. So we went to Wienerpalooza, New Brunswick, which was the first Wienerpalooza ever in our province. So this was a gathering of dachshunds of all colors, shapes, and sizes. And Spencer won the longest dog competition. We also went to Wienerpalooza in Nova Scotia and uh, Wienerpalooza in Prince Edward Island, where he also won Longest Dog. So he holds the title in two of the three provinces. He's 12 years old and he is a Dachshund cross mix. 
He has like a, a Spencer strut. He definitely has a, a cool gait. Uh, he's a handsome little fella and we always get comments about how good he looks for his age when, when we talk to other people. You can tell on his face when we're out walking. He's got a grin. I mean, it's not the whole time, but you can tell and then the bounce in his step that he really, I think, really enjoys being out there and glad that we're able to take him out there. I was lucky enough to be introduced to Spencer through uh, an organization called Elder Dog, a charitable organization that matches up senior citizens who need help walking their dog. I gotta be honest, it was love at first sight. <laughs> Growing up, my mom had uh, a miniature dachshund with the same sort of color pattern, like a black and tan. So he reminded me a lot of that little dog that we had growing up. And uh, so for sure, right away, I just adored him. At first, Conrad and Sally just walked Spencer occasionally for his elderly owner. But then they learned that those were the only walks the dog was getting. And when Spencer's owner couldn't care for him anymore, and he needed to find a new home, Sally and Conrad jumped at the chance and decided that after years of mostly staying home, Spencer was going to finally get moving. I had heard during the pandemic of people who had decided to walk every street in their town. It wasn't dog related, it was just something that people were dreaming up to do to past the time because so many other activities were gone. And so it dawned on me that maybe we could do that with Spencer. Maybe we could allow him to explore beyond what any other dog in Quispamsis has ever explored and, and make up for a little bit of lost time for him. I think for, for me, you know, it gives you a better idea of where we live because we take the same streets and, and same places we go to around our town, whether it's you know, to and from work or running errands or you know, uh, other activities. But you, you never really know until you actually walk <laughs> how big your town really is. Yeah, it's a beautiful place that we live and you know, there's 372 streets. <laughs> and so there's probably a fraction of them that we had been on, you know, in the past. So a lot of it was unexplored territory for us. Ooh, there's some little buddies. There's some little buddies up there. That unexplored territory came with some surprises. So Sally and Conrad started keeping track of all the things they saw on Spencer Quest, which included 585 dogs, 64 cats, 27 ducks, 183 deer, and 73 garden gnomes. And just last month, they reached the very last street in Quispamsis. After seven months of walking, it was time to celebrate. Well, it was a pretty awesome day. Some friends that we know through Elder Dog, they brought some of their dogs. So we had a little mini parade for the last treat. There was probably, I don't know, eight dogs, something like that. I eight, think so, yeah. Eight or yeah. ten people and, and eight dogs along with yeah. them. And, and we made sure, too, that the final street would be the name of the town because we actually have a street called Chris Pam Sis. So as we were getting closer to the end, because it's a fairly long street and we did portions of it, we decided that for the final street, we should finish Quizpam's Sis Street. And also conveniently, if we followed down that street uh, towards the end point was the dog park. The town has a, a dog park there. So, so once all the dogs arrived, if they wanted to go frolic in the dog park, then they got that opportunity too. I know how big a quest it was for him. 
he has walked every street, every pedestrian street in Quispam Sis, which is more than can be said about any dog for sure, and probably any person, because there were some streets that Sally took him on that I wasn't around for, and some that I took him on that Sally wasn't around for. So we can't say that we walked on every street, but Spencer's the one who can. So I think it's a big deal. Um, after it was all completed, the uh, the mayor and council of of Quispam Sis recognized Spencer with a special little uh, certificate. So we got to go to town hall, and and they they had it in the minutes of their meeting and everything, and they uh, they the had whole, us attend. And, yeah, and there was a presentation, and a certificate was handed to to us on his behalf. <laughs> and he was there though he for recognition of yeah for recognition of completing all the streets in in the town. This wiener dog is more famous than I will ever be in my life, <laughs> <laughs> and probably us too. Yes. <laughs> No one's going to forget Spencer. Evie, when this quest started, Spencer was at 40 pounds. He is down to 28 slim pounds right now. He's feeling good. He's doing crunches at night when they go to bed. And if Spencer could talk, Conrad is pretty sure he knows what his dog would say. He would probably start singing that Golden Girls theme, you know, thank you for being a friend. Because that's what we did. We we traveled down the road and back again with, with Spencer. A Blanche or... Probably a Rose. I think Spencer's in Estelle. (laughs) (laughs) Trevor, you and I are no strangers to going to therapy. No. What do you normally bring with you to your appointments? Uh, Nothing. Just myself and these thoughts that refuse to go away every single day. (laughs) So I'm hearing no bear spray. (laughs) Bear spray? I'm just saying... If Sue McDonald was your therapist, she's got you covered. In here, I just have some some extra clothes. I have a first aid kit. Um, Yeah, extra socks, extra mitts, toques. And I have bear spray. I've never had to uh, use the bear spray on any walk and talks at all. I think it gives people a little bit of a sense of security. But... um, we haven't seen any bears on our, our walk and talks at all. Sue is a registered clinical counselor and with her, you don't sit down in an office and work through your troubles. You lace up your shoes and take it to the woods. For Sue, walking is the perfect therapeutic tool to connecting our bodies and our minds. So we're going to walk towards the the woods here. And while we're walking towards the woods, I just want you to bring attention to your senses. And that will help bring us into the present moment. And this is really hard for people. So I'll try and, and challenge you a little bit just to see if we can walk to the woods. You can see it's not too far up there. Paying attention to what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're smelling paying attention to how your feet are landing on the ground, 
what the sounds come up when you're stepping on the on the ground we don't often take the time to do that so this is just a a really good form of mindfulness just to to kind of bring attention to the the present moment and and slow us down a little bit to start our session So when our nervous systems get out of sync or we get dysregulated, repetitive movement can be really soothing. Sometimes people really need to get a bit quicker walk in. It almost helps um, process some of the, the big feelings or the emotions that they've had. And walking shoulder to shoulder can be less intimidating than face to face. So we're actually helping the brain to integrate um, what we've done and actually create a memory like, huh, okay, I felt better after I did this. So maybe the next time you start to think about, oh, I want to go out, but I don't know, your brain will be like, oh, but remember how much better you felt physically and emotionally after you did that the last time. Get up off the couch. Um, when I was in grade six and seven, we had just uh, moved to, to Prince Edward Island and uh, things inside my four walls were a little chaotic. There was, you know, some uh, excessive alcohol usage and things like that and lots of things I couldn't control in my life. So I lived on a 50 acre property and I had a dog. I was feeling anxious. I I had worries. I just wanted to to get out, um, kind of to some calm, to some peace, you know, away from kind of noise and you know um, unpredictability. So you know, I used to run across this field where there was cows, and I would go from one corner to the other and run my little heart out and hope that the cows would chase me and I knew if I turned around they would run away but I ran across the field and then I was like whew I did it so I think I started to feel proud of myself because maybe I didn't get that in in my home life I, I didn't have adults in my life who were predictable or consistent so I think nature and animals and my dog was always ready to go with me no matter what she was she was my buddy. This type of, of therapy works for me too. I do not for a second think that I could sit in a small um, windowless room um, face to face with, with people all day. So getting out to move my body is uh, also beneficial for me as well. People afterwards feel a shift in their body. So I've had people say things like, oh, I just feel so much more relaxed now. It feels like my day has kind of washed right off of me. And I feel like I can, I can better think now. And I can, you know, handle what's coming after this, whether it be with kids or work or whatever. Huh, I just feel like I have some more space to breathe now. And I feel like my anxiety has decreased. Yeah, so I, I hope that was was helpful today um, for you and and we'll see you next time and let me know if anything comes up for you in the meantime between our sessions.
Trevor, you never know what you will find on a walk. In fact, on our Now or Never Facebook, people have been sharing videos and pictures of what they've come across. And when we were walking and talking with therapist Sue, she came across a surprise as well. We have a cat here with us right now and there's a little, I don't think it's a mouse, I think it's a, a mole or a vole. The cat has the thing in its mouth. Sorry, I'm not a big fan of rodents or anything and he just spit it out, <laughs> but it's not moving. So, not sure what's happening. <laughs> Is that not how all your therapy sessions end, Trevor? <laughs> Just with a, a cat and a vole? Hey, when you're when you're in out in the in the world, that's the animals' kingdom, man. You're in their world now. You just got to adjust. Exactly. Thanks, as always, to the Now or Never producers. Bridget Forbes, Betsy Trumpener, Andrew Friesen, Katie Swales, and Sarah Tate. Let's get out and go for a walk now. Okay. I hope we see a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everyone. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.